1: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Well, thank you kindly and a good afternoon. Welcome. Good to have you with us here on this Tuesday. March the sixteenth we we're, uh, we're the ides of March plus one <laughs> good to have you with us today got a lot to talk about on today's program and a good percentage of it i'm afraid will probably if you if you struggle with high blood pressure <laughs> Today is a show that you're going to need plenty of, uh, what do they take for that? Lipitor, I guess? Whatever it is. You'll need plenty of your anti-high blood pressure medication as we fold into today's program, because there's much going on at both the federal and state levels that will indeed not only increase your blood pressure, but get that just that sensation of frustration over the kinds of people that get elected to office, and the kinds of shenanigans that they're up to. We'll talk about everything from a proposal to increase taxes. I mean, now that we've given away all the free money, somebody's got to pay for it, right? So we'll we'll talk about that later on tonight. Susan Shelley with the Howard Jarvis Tax Association will join us. We'll also talk about a proposal that would ban a broad variety of viewpoints and opinions held by individuals seeking to serve in police officer roles. (laughs) It's just phenomenally disappointing, if not to be expected. We'll get into details on that. Greg Burt joins us from the California Family Council. But we lead off with another bit of frustration tonight. We'll deliver. I promised you, your blood pressure will go up. Here's a great example of it. You know we as as Americans have often idealized the goals established and what's set out in the United States Constitution to you know provide for freedom and liberty and respect of all peoples. All men are created equally and and sadly, we've done a better job at lip service to that than we have at actually living it out though I think we're we're making strides in the right direction. That said, it appears as if America is not shedding its racial past or discriminatory past, but rather just simply shifting it. And by that, well, you'll understand more as we welcome to the conversation Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. So it's interesting, Brad, how the whole mantra of separation of church and state and the Establishment Clause seemingly goes out the window if it's just the right kind of establishment of the right kind of religion for the um, sort of flavor du jour, and this is a big example of that, um, we're looking at some proposals that would fundamentally change education across the state. And in doing so, uh, shift that sense of discrimination in a very significant way. And today it seems to be an opportunity to celebrate paganism, secularism, um, any other ism that's out there, um, and doing it all in an effort to try and, I guess, what? correct the record. I, I'm not really sure what the goal here is other than the outright uh, attempt to try and ban anything that would seem to be of the traditional belief system or Christianity. Tell us what's going on.
1: Well, um, if this is unbelievable. Uh, and I, I said, I'm saying this too many times, unfortunately, Craig, but this is just um, unbelievable. Uh, this curriculum and if it's, if it's finally approved and I think it's going to be, um, would apply to all the way down to kindergarten level. And uh, what it's about is to um, give us several things. First off, they're going the kids are going to engage in chant uh, as a part of ethnic studies. They're going to engage in chant uh, where they're calling upon the Aztec gods and the one God in particular and asking them to give them power to be warriors for social justice. So they're praying and chanting to the Aztec gods, um, a religion, by the way, which Sacrificed babies Continually um, Not unborn, but born babies Sacrificed uh, Very barbaric, even um, You know, culture And, uh, and the, the, the Murder stopped uh, But anyway, but that's, that's the god That's the religion they wanted to Indoctrinate children to um, They engage in, you know, Aztec Traditionally worship this god through their practices As human sacrifice and cannibalism um, they're trying to, uh, Craig, they're trying to uh, make this sort of a, a, um, a well, to, to quote them, they, the co, co-director for this curriculum, uh, the purpose is to engineer a, quote, counter-genocide, end quote, against white. That is what they want to do. So it's racially divisive, it's anti-Christian, um, it's filled with hate, vitriol, uh, it's very, very destructive. And any parent, I think, at this point, who have not pulled their children yet from public schools will definitely need to do so if this is enacted.
0: You know, you began the conversation by saying this, this is shocking and unbelievable in so many words, and, 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 and there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, the... The agenda, in terms of of um, trying to lay out clearly some of the history, and there's glorious moments and not so glorious moments within uh, the American experience, the American experiment. I, I'm okay if people want to set the record straight, but but this is outright an agenda to try and completely discount any of the value of the contributions. Of European Americans to the history of our country, and in doing so, elevate what, as we suggest here, is uh, uh, paganism or, or, or uh, theism that that uh, <laughs> that certainly flies right directly in the face of the Establishment Clause. And, uh, you know, the the notion of teaching kids to engage in in chants to deities of the Aztec variety, um, asking for the students to receive power, to be warriors for social justice, and then instruct them on how to engage in chants. I I mean, if this was being proposed at a Christian level and people were absolutely coming apart at the seams over the proposal you would say, well, you know, they kind of have a point here. But in this case that clearly is not the issue, that they would rather just simply uh, uh, attempt to try and and, and manipulate history and uh, damn the torpedoes so long as it isn't uh, uh, Christianity that's being promoted. uh, We're okay with every other sort of religion. I I don't understand where the reasoning is taking place here. Yeah, it's
1: a sort of a uh, a revenge of the of the of the gods, if you will. Uh, this this uh, the group those who put this together um, have a very radical uh, racist perspective. Uh, they have a uh, filled with racial hatred, um, and uh, one of the ways of attacking European Americans, if you will, um, is to attack Christianity, and uh, and they want to they want to basically tear down Christianity. Elevate Gods of other religions Because to them It's just about It's about a culture It's not really about There being any gods at all They really They really don't believe in gods This is just a I think this is their way of Trying to elevate culturally So that people will Look at these other gods At the same level As they do the Christian god Mind you We're talking about Public schools All the way down To the kindergarten level um, And this is You know Extremely Extremely dangerous Uh you know, when we're looking at what's going to happen to our kids, Craig, I, 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 if, if this is implemented, I think it will be. Uh, of course, we at Pacific Justice will be looking um, logistically at, ch- at challenging it, uh, but uh, parents, they've got to get their kids out of out of government schools at this point, uh, especially here in the state of California. If, if it wasn't for the radical LGBTQ sex agenda and, and curriculum, this direct broadside on any little child that believes in Jesus um, and this is just outrageous. And um, the people need to pull their kids out of, out of government schools.
0: I would like to believe that the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment will prevent this from ever seeing the light of day. But in a state like California, is there a higher risk here than we might see traditionally?
1: Yeah, there is a higher risk. And even if they were able to to knock out the the chance the religious chants to the Aztec gods. The, the basic, the curriculum of rewriting history to give a, a negative, adverse, uh, you know, uh, guilt to to kids and people of the Christian faith and that heritage uh, is very real. And uh, I don't think I don't think it's all going to be halted. I think it's going to a lot of this is going to continue on, and um, it's just going to be extremely, extremely destructive um, for this you know millions of children in california this is craig this is this is very very serious and, and um i'm just encouraging people um to get to save their children uh, as quickly as possible and that may sound radical but um if people get educated on this so it'll become very apparent what what's coming down and it's mandated and it will be it will be mandated at all public schools in california all the way down to the kindergarten level very very dangerous very destructive
0: and this so-called ethnic studies model curriculum, um, as it's known, is, is proposed to be implemented uh, across the state, as Brad Dacus points out. This would impact both primary and secondary public schools. So you're looking at 6 million students across 10,000 schools statewide and much of the material is being created by the co-chair of this curriculum panel, um, who clearly has a, a significant agenda here. And, uh, you know, while perhaps no world religion's history is without fault, failure, or shortcomings, um, to engage in this major paradigm shift that has one goal, not to set the record straight, but to essentially do whatever can be done to wipe any sense of positive influence of um, historic Christianity out of the curriculum books is uh, is tragic. But worse yet, supplanting that with another religion and to do so flying in the face of even the respect for the very Constitution that they claim they're so concerned about is, is really uh, a cause for significant concern. As Brad Dacus points out, and let me ask you, counselor, before we let you go, um, this is going to be ultimately decided by what? The State Board of Education? Where is an opportunity for parents to have their voice be heard before this becomes uh, actually officially part of the California State curriculum?
1: Yeah, uh, it's exactly that. It's the uh, the State Board of Education. Um, But it's, um, you know, people should be, be vocal against it. They should contact their state legislators, uh, complain against it, about it. But um, they also need to be looking at alternative education because uh, this is very dark, and I'm, I'm not optimistic because of how many um, legislators we have that are totally given in to an anti-Christian worldview. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned that it, it, it's going to be adopted. So people should be outspoken. They should let their legislator know they should the California Department of Education, they should let their voice be heard. But this is, um, it, 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 it's, it's looking, it's really looking bad um, right now. So, you um, know, I, all right.
2: I almost, lost, <clears throat> I'm almost lost the words, Craig. I'm just, I was, I, I, f- f-
0: <laughs> seldom if ever do I find you stumbling. <laughs> but I think I, we, we, we share an equal sense and frustration over this. And uh, it, it ought to be an important warning for all parents. Uh, really and truly. So uh, get educated, more details on this and uh, we'll continue to follow the story. Details at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. 518 from KFAX.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Well, coming off the heels of a moment when Brad Dacus was speechless, (laughs) We're about to continue our hit parade here of frustrating things coming to the state of California uh, as next we pivot to uh, another disappointing and frightening topic. Now, we know there's been much said pertaining to the events that occurred at the Capitol on January the 6th. And there have been plenty of allegations made in terms of were Capitol Police officers somehow involved, did they look the other way, did they help facilitate all of that. And at at some levels, perhaps, there are legitimate questions that need to be answered. But we have a process in this country we have a due process, we have the rule of law, we investigate, there is a presentation of evidence before a court of law, and then based on the facts, a determination is made. But seemingly in this scenario, and many others, the rush to judgment, there's a rumor, so let's go ahead and uh, grab the biggest sledgehammer we can find because we think we found a ant running around on the dinner table. And we're content, apparently, to not only destroy the table, but even the floor and the House Foundation along with it. Let's get some details now about what's being proposed in a new bill called Assembly Bill 655. Why it is so incredibly broad and why it seems to really have a significant agenda at foot. Greg Burt joins us, Director of Capital Engagement. For California Family Council. Greg always an education to have you join us. I I, I read this story pertaining to A B six fifty five and I thought, boy, talk about reactionary. But it's not just reactionary, but but clearly there's an agenda. So kind of break it down if you would for listeners as to exactly what this proposal is and why it is so potentially dangerous.
2: Hey, well, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, this, uh, when I first saw the language of this bill, I was like, they can't really be doing what I think they're doing. And so I sent it off to, uh, some attorneys I know with Pacific Justice Institute, right? And I had them look into it and says this is bad as I think it is? And they came back and said, it's worse. <laughs> and so here's what this bill does. This, this bill, uh, wants to ban, uh, police officers who already are employed and police officer candidates who are members of hate groups or who have used hate speech in the past. Now, you might say, well, it's not so bad, is it? Well, wait till you hear the definition of what a hate group is or what hate speech is. It is so broad that it includes not only armed military groups and white supremacists, Promoting domestic terrorism But it also includes Police officers who ex- who Have conservative, religious Or political views on Hot social topics such as Abortion and marriage And gender uh, It includes anybody Who uh, belongs to A church who has Conservative biblical views about Marriage and abortion And gender um, And it labels those organizations as hate groups because they do not believe in the constitutional rights of uh, uh, the list of protected classes that California is protecting um, and so it is it is it's kind of ironic because yesterday the Pope came out with uh, a big announcement that the, uh, that nothing is changing in regarding the same-sex marriage, that the, the Catholic Church still believes that marriage is between one man and one woman, and they're not changing. Um, so under this definition, uh, the Catholic Church is a hate group, and so Catholic cops <laughs> cannot be cops if this bill passes.
0: And what's ironic about this is that we seem to be experiencing an ever-broadening definition of what is considered to be hateful language. And, and, and I, I always get nervous when we start to to define and control speech because the risk of it running afoul of our First Amendment rights is a significant one. And so whenever anybody suggests that we need to put a muzzle on the press, even if we don't like what they're reporting or how they're reporting it, I get nervous. If we're talking about trying to eliminate certain types of language and speech that, that people find offensive, you know, you, you begin to get, uh, you know, it begins to raise concerns because those definitions over time can morph and grow and while it's one thing to say, yeah, there's certain words, certain languages that we all kind of agree to is not to be used, should not be used, is considered to be highly offensive uh, to to certain groups and peoples. So, okay, I get that. But but I, I guess the big question here, Greg, is do we run the risk of moving down a slippery slope? For example, we see in the language of A. B. 655. Quote, public expression of hate means any explicit expression, either on duty or off duty, while identifying myself uh, as, or oneself as, or reasonably identifiable by others as a police officer in a public forum, social media, including a private discussion forum, writing speech, advocating, supporting the denial of constitutional rights of, or violence towards any group of persons based on race and ethnicity, nationality, religion, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, Or disability. Close quote. Ha! Now, what what's what slippery slope there is? If you are saying something that would be in the support of denial of constitutional rights, now let's stop right there. Does that then suggest that if AB 655 passes, that I cannot come on this radio program as I have for the past 32 years and advocate a pro-life position or be critical of a woman's, quote, constitutional right? To an abortion, because I believe it happens to run contrarian to not only my own personal faith and belief, but I believe it runs contrarian to the rights of the baby. So is this really what we're saying, is that we're going to control speech at every single level, that we, what, get to vote now as to what we deem deem to be inappropriate and therefore get it added to the list? I mean, where does it stop?
2: No, it's, this is nuts. Um, you know, you, I mean, you wouldn't lose your job, but you you could not get a job as a cop. You couldn't get a job in law enforcement, right? If, because you do not believe uh, in the constitutional rights of same-sex marriage. Now, you know who else wouldn't be able to get uh, uh, a job as a cop? The four Supreme Court justices who said there is not a constitutional right to same-sex marriage in the Constitution. They also support the denial of constitutional rights because they voted against the mayor's decision. It was a five-to-four decision, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it implies. And, and once they go for cops, what's next? Teachers, all public employees, uh, you know, politicians, judges, prosecutors. No one is going to be able to have a disagreement on what our constitutional rights. I mean, we've been debating what the constitution uh says about our rights for two hundred years and now because one person isn't on the on the the right side of the the political party in power on those questions, they can't have a public uh right to uh have a public job that they, that they're they're so biased that they here's the crazy thing is in his mind he thinks Okay, somebody who, a cop who's very religious and has a very conservative view of marriage, if he goes to a house of a gay couple that's just been robbed, he's going to treat them in a biased way, right? But but Christianity teaches cops to treat everybody with fair-mindedness and honesty and to love and treat everyone like they love themselves, right? So we want more Christians to be cops because they treat people fairly, even people they disagree with. Or that hate them, right? They respond with, hey, we're going to follow the law here. We're going to treat you right here, no matter what you do. You know, it is, yeah. Well, and at the
0: end of the day, Greg, you look at it and say, well, you know, are we losing the capability to differentiate between uh, private or personal discourse versus public action and public behavior? I mean, my goodness, if we're going to start to have this kind of a litmus test now at every level... Uh, your, your, your question is a very valid one. Where does it stop and how soon before we just entirely cripple the, 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 all of the
2: system? Yeah, I mean, everybody I mean, when I, I've been on a jury several times, and the, the judge always asked everybody sitting the jury box, can you adjudicate this case uh, putting your personal beliefs behind and simply follow the law? Can you, can you do this without being biased towards the defendants, right? And people in the jury box say, "Yes, I can do that. I can put away my personal biases." Well, you know, cops can do that—the same thing, right? We expect everybody in public service to put away their personal beliefs and treat people according to law, right? But now this bill says that's impossible for people with conservative religious beliefs, right? They're they're putting people who are out to kill, you know, same-sex couples, and out to do harm to transgender folks, you know, they are putting the same category, those people who want to harm those people with violence are in the same category as you know, a cop who attends a church with his family on the weekend.
0: Pretty frightening and yet there it is, and once again being brought to you by the great state of California. Again, this is Assembly Bill 655. It, by the way, is authored by an assembly member from San Jose. Um, That's right, them. and uh, I think that we as uh, as Californians we, we need to we need to get our voice to be heard here. Um, and I'm going to recommend that you contact your member of the California State Assembly and let he or she know that you strongly, vehemently oppose Assembly Bill 655. Uh, we, we we you know we 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 need to we need to come to to terms with the direction that things are heading in. And it's one thing to say that we're going to, um, at a level or another, um, hold our public officials or public service employees uh, or those working in any branch of the public sector to a certain standard of, of, of public language and behavior. That, that's, that's probably acceptable, and every employer has a right to do that. But now when we start expanding definitions uh, and doing so, which what appears to be a pretty clear agenda here, uh, to to effectively block um, from participation in uh, policing in the state of California uh, any individual that holds a, a conservative viewpoint or a viewpoint that will be considered to be contrarian to the the agenda du jour. Uh, it's that's dangerous. That really is dangerous. And we're we're, we're looking at our our very constitutional rights being put at risk here and with the desire of codifying it into California law. So get educated on AB 655. Reach out to your member of the California State Assembly and urge he or she to please vote against this piece of dangerous dangerous nonsense. More information available on the web, by the way, at CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. And our thanks to Greg Burt, Director of Capital Engagement for the California Family Council, for that update. Boy, told you, we're on a roll today. More to come as we look at proposals on the heels of giving away a little free money. Not so fun when you start talking about Who's going to pay for it? We'll talk about proposals to increase taxes across the board as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I want to pivot to another topic here. We've been looking at, of course, many of the efforts across two administrations now to try and address some of the pain related to covid Nineteen, and we know that across the board, businesses are suffering. Um, particularly small businesses. Um, this is not a good time if you run a cottage-type uh, storefront business in a downtown area, or even a restaurant. It's just a difficult, difficult time. In Effort to try to address this, there of course has been stimulus package and money that's been invested in in forms of 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 payments, even directly to uh, individual citizens under a certain income amount. But once you've given away six hundred here, twelve hundred there, fourteen hundred over there, and it's always fun to do that, um, and seemingly at least by the way it's done in our country, uh, quite easy to do that. All of that is fun until the pain of the bill arrives. Therein lies the challenge. And sadly, America has been kicking the proverbial can down the road when it comes to our federal debt for many decades now, over multiple presidencies going all the way back to the days of Ronald Reagan. I remember in the 1980s, we hit $4 trillion, and I thought, this, this is, you know, the wheels are coming off. This is, this is a bridge too far. And now here we sit and, don't we wish we only owed 4 or 8 or even 16 trillion way above that so we've spent like a drunk sailor on leave now we're trying to figure out how to pay for it all and one of the proposals is going to attempt to reverse the um 2017 reduction in corporate income taxes let's talk about the potential fallout and domino effect of that. Susan Shelley joins us, Vice President of Communications with the Harvard, Harvard, Howard Jarvis Tax Association. I had Howard on the show several times years ago. Shelley, I should be able to pronounce his first name properly. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Uh, this, I, I should say, is not unexpected. Certainly, Biden ran on a campaign promising that there would be tax increases, and now the administration is fixing to figure out how to deliver on that promise. But I have to wonder, first and foremost, yes, we acknowledge, as I mentioned a moment ago, how deeply in debt this country is. But given where things stand in the world, with the impact of COVID, another wave seemingly beginning to hit in parts of Europe, and we're so far away from digging out in our own country, is this really practically the time to be discussing tax increases when so much of the economy, save maybe Wall Street, is on life support?
3: Oh, you're so right. It's the worst possible time to discuss tax increases. And some of the proposals that are kicking around will hit the very small businesses and it's so crushed that the government is trying to build it up. And here come tax increases on those same businesses. For instance, paring back the tax tax treatment for so-called pass-through businesses like limited liability companies or partnerships, those are small businesses. And raising the corporate tax... They want to raise it to 28 percent from where it is now, which is 21 percent, which is just another way of killing jobs, driving companies out of the United States and certainly driving them out of California because the state taxes here are so high. that if you want to stay in the United States and the United States raises federal taxes, those state taxes become even tougher for small businesses.
0: You know, over the last several years, we've heard what I deem to be some some pretty big exaggerations of truth. Uh, we've been told things like, "Well, we're going to increase um, tariffs on foreign countries," failing to recognize, at the end of the day, they make adjustments in the the prices that go to the end user or the the uh, the final consumer, and so those tax increases, vis-a-vis. Um, duty and and import taxes uh, get passed on to to individuals, likewise, as we are increasing taxes for corporations, if they 've set certain performance goals to satisfy their stockholders aren 't they essentially just going to pass on the cost of any tax increases? to the end consumer and failing that, look at options as to what they can do, where they can go, how they can sort of redeploy aspects of their business in order to reduce their tax exposure up to and including what we've seen done quite handily over the last uh, probably three decades now, and that is moving as much as possible offshore and overseas? Well, you're certainly right
3: about that. It's the end consumer that pays all the price increases that come from tax increases. Businesses don't actually pass, they don't actually pay the taxes. They pass the cost of operating through in their products and services. And where it really hurts is in jobs, because when a business can't grow, when a business can't operate successfully and profitably, it can't hire people. And the next thing that happens is they have to lay people off. And that's how you wind up in a situation where people can't pay their bills. And then you have a situation where the government wants to come in and bail out everybody who can't pay their bills and then raise taxes, which is a really, it's a sophisticated plan to circle the drain. It, it can't work. In order for people to prosper, businesses have to be free to operate, people have to be free to work, and everybody has to be free to keep the fruits of their own efforts and not pay it all to the government
0: and you know the the challenge there of course is that we know that we're largely dealing with a government that hasn't seen the tax increase that it didn't like and attempt to embrace uh in in every form and fashion and uh, along with that uh, a a scenario right now where we're 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 trying to recover main street we understand that wall street largely has come through this surprisingly unscathed, which I think just at the end of the day proves that Wall Street is no um, no yardstick or, or accurate measurement of the overall health of the economy. Uh, but this has the potentiality not only to hit the bottom line in terms of the ripple effect on Main Street, but also potentially wouldn't you think, Susan, a, a, a risk at even taking aim at, at Wall Street itself? And I know it's easy for people to say, well, those big fat cats, they're wealthy, they can handle it, failing to recognize that, yeah, and the majority of the people that own the stocks uh, in those so-called fat cat companies are little guys like you and me just sitting beside a little bit of money in an IRA or a 401k trying to build a nest egg in order to retire. And if suddenly we see a big explosion on Wall Street, doesn't that really end up, again, having a direct impact on, on the little guy on Main Street?
3: It sure does. Something like 40% of Americans own individual stocks, not in a pension plan, but in their, own, in their own 401K or in their own account, something like 40%. And certainly every one of those people is hurt if the stock market crashes. And all the pension funds, some of which are paid for by taxpayers, like public employee pension funds, if the stock market doesn't do well, those funds need more money from taxpayers in order to pay those pension benefits. So there's no free lunch here. If the stock market declines, taxpayers are hurt, consumers are hurt, everybody's hurt. Job creation is hurt. So it's important to have a healthy economy, to have the government out of the way so businesses can operate successfully. It's really very simple. If you shut down businesses, the revenue to the government declines also. We just saw that in the COVID lockdowns, they They stopped businesses from operating and revenue declined sales tax revenue income tax revenue gas tax revenue it all declined because people were home and they couldn't work and then it works in the opposite direction too. if you let businesses grow and there's more hiring and there's more economic activity revenue to the government goes up and you can pay for the safety net So that's really the solution it's not to punish businesses with higher taxes it's to allow people to work And that will produce the revenue that we made.
0: Let's take a time out and want to dig a little bit deeper. Susan Shelley is with us today, Vice President of Communications with the Howard Jarvis Tax Association. We're talking about proposal, and it's it's a broad one. It includes raising the corporate income tax rate from twenty eight oh, sorry from twenty one to twenty eight percent doubling the global intangible low tax income rate to twenty one percent from the current ten point five lifting the tops tax rate to thirty nine point six from thirty seven, that for individuals earning over four hundred thousand dollars a year. You say, well, not me, but yeah, maybe your boss. And maybe now as we begin to see these taxes being increased in multiple arenas, some are saying, hey, at the end of the day, we will if we have to, we'll we'll cut our margins in order to protect our bottom line. And in doing so, simply say time to taxes go up, time to cut expenses. And guess what the largest expenses of any business practically anywhere human resources employees so you want more money out of them you get the more money and you'll have more people winding up on unemployment let's take a time out we'll come back with more as lifeline continues
1: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts
0: Susan Shelley with the Howard Jarvis Tax Association is with us. We are talking about proposals floating around in Washington, D.C., in relationship to increasing the federal tor- corporate tax rate. Um, and and in doing so, the the potential snowball effect, the domino effect that this may indeed have, on not only a very fragile economy, but, but an economy that, that is nowhere near in the recovering stages. I mean, if you look at what's happening, Susan, in terms of the impact on commercial real estate, uh, everything from strip malls to giant malls to storefront type businesses, all really felt, uh, dealt a significant blow as a result of COVID-19. And I think we need to be mindful. You know, we, we think of the big corporations as primary employers in our country, but the reality is it's really the mom-and-pop shop that does the bulk of the heavy lifting when it comes to providing jobs for average American families. This is the sector that has been hit the hardest. And when we start to talk about increasing corporate taxes, be mindful that those corporations are not limited to just the uh, the Amazons of the world. Even smaller corporations that employ thousand or less individuals will be impacted by this and it just seems to me that right now this is probably the last time uh, that we need to be uh, engaging in discussions about increasing taxes when we see such a degree of fragility in the economy what do you think are the chances of something like this even seeing the light of day realistically speaking
3: not have a chance But they are talking about using one of these budget reconciliation workarounds so that they don't need 60 votes in the Senate and they can pass it with a tie and the vice president's tie-breaking vote and shove it through by the narrowest of margins on pure party-line vote. And that's a real risk. And they're also talking about some things that would just make life more difficult Generally, they're talking about more IRS audits and how much more money they would raise if only the IRS would hound Americans over their tax returns. Well, that doesn't sound like a, a really great plan for the American people who have just been through a miserable one year of, of COVID lockdowns. And the Senate Finance Chairman, Ron Wyden, is talking about a wealth tax where unrealized capital gains would be taxed. So if someone holds stocks or bonds and they've appreciated in value or real estate, that's an asset, and they would select people to be taxed on the appreciating value of the asset, which is a little bit like the situation in California before Prop 13, when Howard Jarvis came in and said, you can't do this to people. They can't pay these tax bills on houses that they're not selling just because on paper they're worth more. Well, they want to do that now for investors. And make people pay taxes on unrealized gains. This is really very destructive.
0: And I understand that in addition to all these proposals, there's also one that would consider revamping the current exclusion levels as it relates to inheritance taxes,
3: uh, which I think right now
0: is something capped at like $11.5 million. uh, and, And it's bad enough. Uh, You mentioned um, Prop 13 here in California. It's bad enough that in in February of this year, a significant change to the way taxes are calculated when it comes to inheritance of property passed not from an individual to just anybody willy-nilly, but passed directly to the next-level descendants, meaning sons and daughters. Uh, And and they've managed to, um, to, to reshape all of that, and you've got to believe... Um, in a year or two as more and more people get impacted by this they'll they'll really recognize just how dangerous that proposition was and there's so much more potentially on the table here susan ultimately what do individuals need to be keeping an eye out for and how can we be involved beyond you know obviously getting educated how can we be involved to try and stem the tide of so much of this
3: Well, on the proposal that you just mentioned on Proposition 19 and the huge inheritance tax that was hidden in it where it raises property taxes when property is passed from parents to children, we're going to try very hard to reverse that tax increase. So I hope your listeners will call their state representatives, look them up, findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. Look them up in the phone book, if you don't remember that. Call them and say, restore the parent-child tax break for property. Restore what was there before. Because that was Proposition 58. It passed unanimously in the legislature in 1986 and with 75% of voter approval. And that was the exclusion of reassessment when property was transferred from parents to children. So the tax bill would stay the same. Well, that is gone. Proposition 19 repealed that. And now property is reassessed to market value when it's transferred between parents and children. We must reverse that. So call your state representative and tell them we must reverse the tax increase in Proposition 19. We must restore Proposition 58.
0: And in addition to those steps, um, tell us a bit about, for folks that are not familiar with the great work that Howard did for so many years. Uh, Give us a quick glimpse into the current work of the Howard, Howard Jarvis Tax Association.
3: Well, we have just completed one of our greatest victories, which was fighting off an attack on Proposition 13 that would have split it in half, and it would have taxed commercial property at market rates, and you know they would have come for homeowners next. So we fought that off in the November election. That was Proposition 15, and we will continue to fight all proposals to try again on that. So you can go to hjta.org, sign up for our free taxpayer alert emails. We're going to have a taxpayer conference online. Mark your calendar for Thursday, May 20th at 10 a.m., and we'll have more information about that soon. And I hope everyone will join us and become a more active and more proactive taxpayer in California.